Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Inner Healing After Narcissistic Abuse. I'm your host Jasmine and today I have a very special episode for you. Um, It's another Thriver episode with a beautiful friend and member of my support group, Kate. And I think you're going to really find a lot of value out of this episode as we cover a little bit of her journey around uh, narcissistic abuse and her experiences with a overt and also a covert narcissist and kind of the differences of what she experienced. We also cover um, her family background and in particular the relationship with her mother and her father who was an alcoholic and how her you know, her parents' relationship with each other and also their relationship with her and how that affected her, you know, upbringing and some of the belief systems that she basically created around those relationships with her family. Uh, We also cover a little bit about sexual chemistry as a form of love bombing. Um, She mentions in the episode that love bombing wasn't really part of what she experienced, although it's something obviously that's very common for many of us in terms of being hooked into, um, you know, the the addiction with the narcissist. So she kind of um, had a different perspective and take on her experiences. We also covered uh, some red flags and also really journeyed into recovery after narcissistic abuse, which is something obviously I'm very passionate about. And really navigated, you know, what was it like for her and what has she really used to help her, you know, navigate the first few days, weeks, months of narcissistic abuse recovery and what was that journey like for her. We also covered a new kind of topic, something that I'm really interested to get more into, and that is really, you know, dating after narcissistic abuse and how do we really actually learn from our past, learn from the things that you know, I guess went wrong in previous relationships. Also really looking at uh, some of the behavioural, you know, characteristics of um, what made us attractive to and be attracted to a narcissistic individual rather than maybe seeking out a healthy type of relationship and love. And really starting to look at maybe some of the challenges that you might face after, you know, dating after narcissistic abuse and some of the triggers that will come up and really recognising that dating is going to be a new experience, a new journey for you, especially if you have done a lot of work on yourself after narcissistic abuse. So um, I'm really excited for this episode and for you all to hear it. Um, As always, I love to get your feedback. I really value and appreciate when you take the time to, yeah, just let me know what you are getting out of these episodes, what you'd love to hear more of. Um, you can always, um, yeah, send me some feedback to um, my email, which is feelinglife at gmail.com. Also, I mentioned in the episode that I'm really looking to travel a little bit through Australia and come and bring a little bit of the support group that I run here in Perth and bring that a little bit more um, nationally and also, you know, hopefully foster more of that community and help bring women together who have been through the same experiences to help form community and relationships and friendships, I guess, um, as I know it's been a really big part of the journey for myself and also for the women that I coach and mentor. And I know Kate mentions in this episode how valuable it's been for her in her recovery and healing. And I just want to mention as well that, you know, this really is a never-ending journey and we I know we want to feel like we can arrive at a destination of wanting to be you know, I guess, complete and healed from narcissistic abuse. It's something that will, I think, will always be with us. It's just, I think, the relationship that we have with it changes and transforms as we heal and navigate this process. So wherever you're at right now, I really want you to just take a moment to sit with, you know, how you're feeling, where you're at, and just really be present with whatever's coming up for you. Just allow it. Um, something I know that we we do a lot of the time is really bypass and want to move past what we're experiencing. But the the gold and the gems in all of this is actually being present with where you are right now. And remember that it might feel like that light at the end of the tunnel is isn't 
ever going to come. Trust me, it does. And when it does, you're going to be a lot more appreciative for it and for the journey that you've experienced. So just, yeah, really take some time for yourself. And if you haven't already, some of the tools that I give my clients is really this idea of journaling, being present, doing a little bit of movement and breath and being really gentle with yourself, but also just really practicing that reconnection with yourself. I know narcissistic abuse is really this uncovering of who we are and, you know, how we want to feel and navigating so much emotion and trauma, but how can we really be present and show up for ourselves and be self-aware and conscious for where we're at and understand that we're constantly moving and growing and evolving. And just by having some of these fundamental practices in place, you're going to start to feel so much different and really connect the pieces of the puzzle for yourself. And I think that this episode with Kate in particular is going to help really channel that energy, I think, and really allow you to resonate and connect with your own story and your own experiences and see just how far you've really come. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and we'll get into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today I have a very special guest um, and her name is Kate and she's another one of our special Thriver guests. Um, so I'm really excited for this episode because I think you're going to get a lot out of Kate's journey and what she's about to share with you all. And as always, if you have any questions or would like to give any feedback, um, you can email me at feelinglife at gmail.com. All right, so welcome, Kate. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Jasmine. So I'd like to start with kind of, you know, getting a bit more of an idea about your relationship history. I know you've had a couple of really significant relationships with narcissistic people. So if you'd like to kind of give us a bit of background about your relationships and, you know, what you've kind of experienced. Uh, yeah, so I've had two relationships with narcissists and um, it's a pattern that I've noticed in other people in the group as well. Um, I started a relationship with an overt narcissist when I was about 21 and that lasted for five years uh, and filled with determination not to be in a relationship like that again, I went straight into a seven-year relationship with a malignant narcissist um, <laughs> Same personality disorder but a very different expression of that personality disorder. So some of the things that actually attracted me to my second narcissist were how they were different to my first narcissist. I just I didn't have enough knowledge of what that actually meant deep down. So uh, and I guess, you know, in terms of background, uh, my father was an emotionally abusive um, alcoholic narcissist. So that sort of accepting of that kind of patterning in relationships was probably something that I, I grew up with um, so I didn't necessarily identify those as abnormal those kinds of relationships or behaviors yeah I think that's such a important you know reminder to people is to really look at your background and your history whether it's past relationships but I think you know you're going to get more value and transformation when you actually go back to your childhood and you actually look at the relationships that, you know, your parents had with each other, with other people and the way that they, you know, were with you as well and really understanding certain behaviours and characteristics and looking at whether they were healthy or unhealthy, you know, behaviours because that's one of the biggest things that we fall into in adulthood is, we, 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 we attract and we are attracted to what is familiar to us. So becoming really self-aware of our history and where we were is going to really help you to move forward and move out of those behaviour patterns. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, looking back at my childhood, something that was very, uh, very much carried through into my adult relationships was uh, my father was not particularly emotionally engaged with me. He was absent a lot of the time. And when he was present, he didn't, I was an annoyance. Um, you know, one of my strongest memories is of him having not, not been to see us for two weeks and, and coming to the house and watching football 
and I was I, I got between him and the telly to try and tell him something about school and he shouted out, Jill, that's my mum, Jill, come and get the kid because I was between him and football. Um, so for me, that, that sort of uh, relationship or, or lack thereof with my father uh, led to me, you know, and also having a codependent mother who spent a lot of energy, emotional energy, trying to compensate for my father and also to earn his affection. Uh, I naturally gravitated towards relationships where I had to earn relate earn any sort of emotional feedback. I had to do something or be something. Uh, just being me wasn't enough. There was always a feeling that I had to do something to be good enough for someone to like me. Yeah, I think that's such a big distinction, um, you know, recognising, you know, where are these limiting beliefs and stories that we created for ourselves, you know, again, and, and being okay with the fact that, you know, we had experiences in childhood where we then created these belief systems that we then carried on to adulthood, that that was just the way that we grew up, that that's as children what we do, we, we, we have to kind of rationalise in our own way why we experience certain things. We have to try and make sense of what we experience. So the biggest problem with that, though, is if we don't address them in child, you know, sorry, in adulthood, that that then translates in most cases into, you know, how these manifest in relationships, what we believe about ourselves. Relationships are really a mirror to us of what we believe about ourselves, you know, what we believe about love, what we're worthy of what we desire, what we what we crave. And, you know, that is such a important part of recognising there's more to narcissistic abuse than just understanding we've been emotionally abused or having been with a narcissist. Yes, that's really important to understand and gain awareness of so we don't repeat that pattern in the future, but we need to go deeper than that. So, Kate, I'd like to kind of get more of an idea about, I guess, these two main relationships that you've mentioned, you know, how did you, you know, what were some of the characteristics of the uh, the overt, really malignant narcissist compared to the covert, you know, what were the kind of behaviours that they, you know, that they um, displayed? So uh, the overt narcissist was uh, the relationship in my, early, my late 20s, uh, so there was certainly a, a lot of uh, charisma and uh, part of the hook was definitely sexual as well. We had a, um, a very sexual relationship which was incredibly unhealthy in that that was part of how um, our failure to actually be compatible was glossed over um, you know, it doesn't solve anything. Um, and it, it, in, a, in essence, um, I mean, we might talk about this later, but that has partially left me quite um, I'm very tentative around having actual chemistry with people now because I'm concerned that that is a bad sign and um, I'm working through some stuff at the moment to try and separate those two things from each other. Um, the second narcissist, um, he seemed so completely different and in terms of a bit of context uh, I had suffered a stroke uh, three or four months previous to meeting the second narcissist and um, although you know I'm not really affected I've got a minor visual disability it was quite a shock at 30 or 29 to have a stroke um, and I was in a, an emotionally vulnerable state and because of the way that I'd grown up and the relationships that I'd previously been in, I wasn't able to identify that about myself. I didn't realise that I was vulnerable and it's incredibly clear looking back now how how vulnerable I was. But at the time, um, I, I didn't see it. And so I think that being in that, that state is how I ended up in the second relationship. Uh, I think that the second narcissist was... Uh, obviously very attracted to my vulnerable state but because I was so feeling so vulnerable in my previous relationship with the overt narcissist he was um, addicted to alcohol and addicted to marijuana and it was very um, unstable uh, emotionally up and down you know that addictive sort of cycle that you can get into 
And the, the covert narcissist appeared to be the opposite of all of those things. He appeared, you know, what I thought at the time was um, stability and constancy turned out to be deep, deep inability to be flexible uh, at controlling behaviours. So, uh, but because it seemed so different from the previous narcissist, I, I thought, you know, I'm making a really great decision here because this guy's nothing like the last guy. Um, and, I, you know, it's really difficult when you do a little bit of research on narcissism. You know, there's so much out there which is focused on the, the overt narcissist and the charismatic, charming, love-bombing narcissist. Uh, but there's so much less on the covert narcissists and, you know, they are so much harder to identify and I, I think they can be quite... Uh, they're quite insidious in the way that they affect you. So, um, yeah, so even though I had identified, I, I thought, oh, my ex was a bit narcissistic, you know, because he had the, the outward characteristics of being very charismatic and energetic and all of those things, but I didn't look into narcissistic personality disorder to actually see how deep the rabbit warren went. So I, I had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah, thanks, Kate. I think um, that is such a big distinction to understand. You know, it's talked about a lot more nowadays, in, you know, with the internet being available and, you know, talking about narcissism or someone's narcissistic. It's so much, you know, I think I've probably mentioned this before, it's so much more than an inflated sense of self or ego, um, more than being charismatic or charming. It's this deep-seated, like, rooted self-hatred you know bringing other people down to make themselves feel better it's it's it you know and I guess it is such a, a personality disorder that's on a spectrum so we you know have we can all have a different experience of of this type of disorder but <clears throat> they're really the foundations to understanding what narcissism is and another thing that I think you draw on which was you know really important for I think people to understand is but being vulnerable, you know, and really understanding and nurturing yourself in the future, you know, now if you are, you know, out of a narcissistic relationship, if you are working on yourself and you are looking at being in a new relationship or calling that in, then really sitting with yourself, moving through that loneliness that you might be feeling, that craving to be in a relationship, feeling like you need to be because that's what society expects, to really allow yourself to move through that a bit deeper and to sit with that vulnerability because otherwise you are really just going to be, you know, so attractive to a narcissistic person and you're really not going to be in a state of being able to recognise when someone is basically mis misusing their power and, you know, basically becoming emotionally or maybe even physically abusive. So really sit with that vulnerability and maybe look back at your previous relationships just the way that, you know, Kate had explained and the way she has done it herself in actually recognising, okay, well, how did I end up in this situation? What did I do? And, you know, start to piece together some of these experiences because there is always a nugget of wisdom that you'll be able to draw on that will help you to identify why you ended up where you, you know, ended up in. It doesn't just happen to us. I know some of the women that come to the support group that I coach and mentor, you know, when I when I say to them, look, you know, what is your history? What is, you know, what is your family background? And sometimes they'll say to me, look, Jasmine, I never experienced this before. This is the first relationship I've experienced like this. And, you know, very rarely that might actually be the case, but, okay, let's look at where were you at in your life? How did you feel about yourself? Where were you really vulnerable? Did something in your life really happen that that challenged you? Where you felt, you know, I guess a bit weaker and a bit more vulnerable as to why you ended up in that situation. So, you know, okay, I'd like to kind of get more of an understanding of what were your impressions. You know, you feel free to kind of share on one or both of your main relationships with narcissists. But, you know, what were your first impressions of them and what really stood out to you? What were you drawn to? What were your hooks? And something that I know before we um, went online to record, we talked about this idea that, you know, love bombing is something that's really apparent and, you know, obviously that's really part of the cycle of emotional abuse that I talk a lot about, but it's something you've brought up a fair bit of that you actually didn't really experience that. So, I'd, yeah, I'd be really interested for you to share. You know, there might be other listeners who also feel like they didn't really experience the love bombing. So, 
I want to kind of find some more wisdom on, you know, well, what were you drawn to? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because quite often love bombing is described. It's described as one of the main sort of red flags in a potential new relationship, and and you know I, I get a little bit concerned at some points because I look back and I, I was never love bombed. I was sex bombed, definitely, and you know for me, you know I am, you know to be completely open, I have a very high sex drive. I'm a very sexual, sensual person. So for me, that, you know, being at that time quite young and relatively inexperienced, that for me was a hook with my overt narcissist and definitely kept the relationship going for years longer than it should have. Um, but with the second, the, the covert narcissist, um, it, was that, it was that sense of looking for stability after such a roller coaster crazy relationship and then having you know medical issues and being feeling quite vulnerable it was looking for that that rock and that stability and feeling that you know the irony is that I I got the impression that I could rely on him emotionally which was which could not have been further from the truth but that was what drew me in was the was a feeling that I could find you know some stability I could someone could bring that to me and you know I know now that that's only something that you can bring to yourself and somebody can be alongside you with that but nobody else can provide that to you um and um I think you know and to go further into the extreme contrasts between the two of them um something which I now know is reasonably common uh, with the covert narcissists is uh, they use sex uh, to control but in a very different way to the overt narcissist. So um, in that sense, um, the fact that I'm quite a sexual person was actually something that my covert narcissist used as control as well. So um, he, oh, we had virtually no sex life. Um, he would always turn me down um, if I made a sexual approach towards him uh he didn't really participate in sex I always got the feeling that he yeah it, it somehow disgusted him to be having sex with me um and that for anyone is pretty awful uh but in addition so they 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 can use that as a way to control you because they know you want them and they want you to want want them but they want to be able to deny you uh, and oh, I wish I could remember the name of the thing that I was reading, but I, I read this thing saying you better believe that your covert narcissist is getting himself off somehow. And in this case, it was nasty porn, which I found out later. And apparently they can actually get a sexual thrill out of denying you. That for them is the, like the purest uh, power control sexual thrill that they can get. So... Yeah, I guess that, you know, is um, it just goes to show how wide the spectrum can be and, you know, how hard it can sometimes be to identify these people because they have the same wounds and they have the same need for control and they will do a lot of, a lot of the manipulation tactics are similar but the way that it can express itself can appear on the surface so completely different that you don't actually realise that it, it, the similarities are far outweigh uh, the, like the way that their internal uh, state is expressed in a relationship. Yeah, that's so interesting, Kate. And I think, you know, it's great having you on to actually discuss more of, you know, what do different relationships look like and, you know, the fact that you've experienced these relationships in different ways with, you know, some with people that really have the same personality disorder but in a different way and how that's expressed is different. But like you said, that underlying behaviour and, you know, like I mentioned, that self-hatred, the self-loathing, the, you know, the really the darkness and the depths of what they feel, the, the way that that's just manifested and the way that they express that and the way they control and manipulate is different but really the, the commonality and the, the, you know, I guess their intention is always the same, you know. 
Um, and something I wanted to, to draw back on was <clears throat> this idea of you mentioned trying to remember now um oh sorry just I quickly interject you know um what you just mentioned about you know that they're coming from the same personality disorder the way that they're expressing that and the way that they you know impact their relationships with that is different um by the same token the the part of me that attracted those two people and was attracted to those two people was the same thing you know it's it's just a different expression in the relationship. It was my codependent qualities, my uh, childhood issues, my internal wounds that spoke to them. They had the same personality disorder, but it was the same thing in me that that brought me into both of those relationships. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, that was a great reminder for what I was going to say, which is that you – it's always about you and it was never about them, you know. I think that's the biggest, I think, where people go wrong is they're looking for the answers outside of themselves when they're looking for a relationship, you know, when they enter a relationship, they're thinking about what can I get from this person. Maybe not so much what can I bring, but it's always this external, we're looking for something to fill us, right? We're looking for the things that are unmet within us. Mm-hmm. And it's that's where we can really start to shift and change the way we look at relationships or the way that we are in relationships is by actually giving to ourselves first. And that's why I'm so big on cultivating a healthy sense of self, cultivating healthy relationship with yourself so that then that can manifest externally with other people in your life, whether that are, you know, friendships, family, you know, co-workers, or then, you know, in love and intimate relationships. And that is where, you know, I find if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to transform the way that you live your life and the way that you, you have relationships then that is what I would really highly recommend for you to look at and work with someone on is actually looking at and identifying your patterns, um, the things that draw you into a relationship, the things that you're craving that you think are missing and also looking at your childhood and really starting to piece together these 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 common, you know, themes because they're not going to go away and something that um, – mentor of mine said to me last year was, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it is just so true that we we live our life and we're so conditioned that we actually do many things while we think we do them differently. We actually always do them the same way. Like we always are predisposed to reacting to a certain situation in the same way. So it's starting to really break and shift those you know, conditioned responses um, that that we need to really do in order to make a change, you know, in order to have a different outcome, we actually need to do something different. So it is something that I really highly recommend. So, Kate, I'd love to get a bit more of an idea because I know that for some people it's interesting, the more stories I hear of women who have been in these situations, you know, and I draw on my own experiences you know, how quickly did these relationships move for you? Were they very quick? Were they not? Because, again, there's a lot of information out there uh, that says, you know, if a relationship moves really quick, that can be, you know, a really big warning sign and a red flag. How did you find that these two main relationships move for you? Were they quick? Were they slow? You know, where were you kind of at in those relationships? Uh, they were quick. Um, and I think... But they weren't intentionally quick, if that makes sense, in that I didn't really participate in pacing the relationships. They just happened. Um, it, I, I really, I was um, a passive observer of the speed of the relationship developing, uh, which, you know, that and, and that in itself is you know, is not something that I, that is something that I, ought, I interfere with, with myself now currently. I, you know, as having been single for nearly a year now and you know, being of an age where I am trying to find a relationship, a healthy relationship, um, I, am, I am dating um, and I've found that 
practice is making perfect, the more that I am intentional and considering my decisions and deciding what pace I want things to go and telling people that how I want things to be. And the more that I do that, the more comfortable it becomes and the more that I feel that I'm actively engaged in making choices about my own life. And I think, you know, most of us that have been through these kinds of relationships, um, you you really, part of what ends up with you being in these relationships is that you have a certain tendency to give release your power to somebody else and then they start making the decisions and then it's all about their emotional fulfillment or their sexual fulfillment or what they want and you kind of and it's part of the whole slide into by the end of a a narcissistic relationship you sometimes think well hang on who am I like what do I like what do I want how do I want to spend my time what are the things that are meaningful to me in my life because you've gradually had that eroded but you 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 obviously there was something in you as there was in me that you are open to that erosion or you're not aware enough of the possibility of somebody eroding your power like that it and you just slip into it and it just happens and I think part of the childhood thing that comes into that for me is watching my mother uh you know look after my father and it always seemed that no matter how distressed she was by his behaviour, no matter how horrible he was, um, it was against a background of assuming that they would always be together. Um, and I think that in the past I've had that, I think once I'm in a relationship, I think, oh, I've just got to make it work. You know, like I have to, I have to do all these things to make it work. And that folds in with the whole... I have to do and be certain things to earn love and then I have to do, it's my responsibility to make this relationship work and, yeah. That's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, I think some of the things that you mentioned there were really, really powerful and I think there's a big distinction that we need to make in terms of being reactive to being in a relationship. And, And, look, again, that's something that, how you do anything is how you do everything. We are probably being like that in the rest of our life as well in different areas. We're being reactive and part of awakening through narcissistic abuse is really waking up to that painful part of our life, the, the pain that we feel of constantly reacting, right? right? Rather than being intentional, being self-aware, like moving through different, you know, problems and issues and life experiences and actually learning from them I think that's the real gold of this whole experience is really recognizing that and understanding that life could be so much better and so different when we actually have intention when we actually are self-aware and you know in relationship in particular and you mentioned you know about dating that we need to really we need to know that it's okay to communicate what we want. Like we need to, a part of that is practicing. It's being self-aware that, you know, those are qualities that we need to build on. And most likely those were, you know, elements of our, you know, upbringing that we were, that were suppressed. You know, we weren't allowed to have that again. So it's not, it's so much of our conditioning, you know, yes, there's an element that we need to take personal responsibility for what we experience. But on another hand, we are how we were conditioned, how we were brought up, the environment that we grew up in, what we learned to believe about love and the world and relationships and, you know, everything. And so it's about coming to terms and understanding it wasn't all you, it wasn't all your fault. And so being really actively engaged in your life in general is so important. And, you know, like in this case, where we're talking about relationships and dating in particular, that's so important. And, There is a lot of, you know, stuff online that I see these days about, you know, relationship coaches talking about that, you know, the divorce rates are going up and that people are, you know, opting to check out of a a marriage or a relationship way too soon and that they're not really doing the work. Look, I think that, you know, is I'm not denying that that's happening. I'm sure that's definitely the case and I'm sure there are, 
you know, relationships or marriages where if both parties actually worked on things that they would have major breakthroughs, they'd be able to work through things together. But it's such a fine line when you're giving that type of advice to someone who's in a narcissistic and emotionally or maybe even physically abusive relationship. You know, that distinction needs to be made that people cannot, you cannot stay with someone who was abusive like that especially if you're wanting to grow and evolve and, you, you you know, there's a part of you that understands that this type of behaviour is not okay. We have to really be clear on that. We have to know what we want. And I think for so many of us, we don't want to live in that type of relationship. We don't want to live in that type of environment anymore. Um, it's, yeah, interesting talking about that because it's just reminded me of something I think we spoke about a little earlier before that we started recording. But, um so the the hormonal up and down, the excitement, the roller coaster, the trying to earn love, which was conditioned into me as a child and which I carried through those two narcissistic relationships. When I started dating again, I embarked on a, well, I wouldn't call it a relationship, but uh, I was seeing someone for a little while uh, and it was a very sexual relationship. Uh, then I, I, I told them that I um, either needed to start seeing them like outside sleeping together or not see them at all. Um, they went overseas for two weeks and they were in constant contact with me and I suddenly realised that they were actually using me as an emotional support because they were having some issues overseas. When they came back, I said, uh, I don't do hot and cold, you know, I'm done with this. And that for me was a huge step to actually say that because that had never, ever been true. That uh, describes hot and cold for me is relationship crack, like, you know, the highs, the lows, the how good the high is after the low, that earning, like trying so hard and then getting the positive reinforcement, all of that stuff was so heavily conditioned into me that that has always been what has kept me in those massively unhealthy narcissistic spiral relationships. So I had made a decision like intellectually that I I didn't want that anymore, Uh, but actually and I could feel it pulling me, but actually saying to that person, this isn't me, I don't put up with this kind of uh, treatment and this isn't going to work, just was a huge moment for me. And by saying it, I, I, I kind of feel like I made it true because he did try and contact me a number of times afterwards and I would just see a message or something from him and I, I literally would shrug and delete it. I just I felt like... Once I'd said that, I had to live by it and it made a huge change to what I accept and what I, you know, know I'm looking for and what I think that I deserve to have in my life and it's not that. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, you know, understanding that when we move through something, we can, we learn through contrast. So by, you know, Kate, from what you shared that, there was no, it was almost like there was no emotional charge. Like it just was, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just like, you didn't really care much about it because you'd learned your lesson. And I think part of it is that you, yes, you consciously were self-aware and you made the choice and, you know, there would have been many different, you know, thoughts and um, experiences that you probably had around this type of behavior long before. Oh, years of it, years of it. Yeah. Yeah. Consciously making that choice And then when you're basically, every time you evolve and you transform through this process, you actually, you know, you're integrating every time, you're integrating what you're thinking and then what you're doing. That's when the two come together and that's what I really believe is how we heal and how we deeply transform who we are and become a healthier, you know, better version of ourselves, right? And that's the whole point, I think, of relationships really and even more so for those of us who have experienced narcissistic abuse. So I'd like to kind of learn a little bit more about how you found, you know, when when did the cracks appear? When did things really start to go downhill in these two relationships? And 
what what did you experience and what what was the thing I think that that made you you know eventually leave those relationships what was there a a thing in each of those relationships that happened or was it just a progressive thing I know for me and I, I think I've mentioned this before it wasn't that there was any one thing that happened it was just an accumulation of of things and then also being really self-aware and understanding the cycle of emotional abuse just seeing the pattern over and over and just really coming to terms and moving out of that denial I think of realizing look this is really not going to change this is really never going to be any different right so I then came to a point where I had to consciously make a choice do I stay in that do I kind of just allow this cycle to keep going even though I know this is now what's happening or do I actually want to leave and do I you know, when I, do I tell myself I know I'm worthy of more? And I know I did this. I actually I said this to myself and I, I know I didn't believe it at the time, but I knew there would be a time when I would believe it and that I wanted my, you know, future self of thinking that to thank that part of me back then and go, I'm looking out for you, I've got your back and, you know, you deserve more. What, what you know, what was your experience? Um. <clears throat> So with the the overt narcissist, the the first relationship, that was that was an accumulation. Uh, it was a sheer exhaustion. Um, just the stress and the heightened emotion. I was just soul tired. I just couldn't, you know. And I remember just thinking, I just don't want to live like this. But what really did it, really pulled me out of it, was thinking about children um, and thinking about I looked at my partner at the time and thought I don't want you anywhere near my children Uh, and you know and there's a bit of like integration of my childhood experience there going through a lot of time where I deeply deeply resented my mother for choosing my father to be my father I thought, you know, you were a grown-up. You should have made a better decision. You've inflicted this person on me. And, you know, how could you do that? Why weren't you looking out for me? And that coming back round to looking at that person and thinking I can't do this to another generation of I don't want my children to have to live through this, that was what really killed that first one. Um, The second one, that was yes an accumulation um so previously i i would say i've had an abusive relationship with food and i've also had an abusive relationship with alcohol which is unsurprising given that my father was an alcoholic um i'm dealing with both of those things currently um i so about just over a year ago uh, i had been trying to lose weight and my medical issues have been preventing that Uh, My doctor recommended that I have a gastric sleeve and I did that. My partner, the covert narcissist, was against it. He had all these reasons about being worried about me and it's a serious operation and all of this sort of stuff. And and my mum actually said to me, he knows if you lose weight you'll leave him because you'll get your confidence back. And she wasn't wrong. Uh, so that was happening. I, during that time as well, I was uh, convinced by a friend to run for local government. So I became quite politically active. I was out and about talking to people a lot. I started rediscovering confidence in myself. Uh, I became chair of a local, uh, group, uh, placemaking group. Again, it engaged me in my community. It made me feel like I was making a difference outside my house, uh, people appreciated me and appreciated efforts that I made and I felt like it was there was all this positive confidence-building experiences going on and that just drove my ex crazy. All of his controlling negativity, nitpicking, criticism, picking arguments, all of it just went Mac 10. The more confident I got, the harder he tried to drag me down. It was just incessant. Our only conversations were 
him criticising me over anything he could think of, trying to pick an argument with me, just it was it was horrible. It was just war. It was like war. And um, so I had all of these things going on outside of my home which were positive and were making me, you know, and helping me to re-understand what it was that makes my life meaningful and what, what I need to make me happy and to fulfil and the exact opposite going on inside my house. Uh, it, the final moment was when it changed over to physical abuse from emotional abuse and I know we've discussed this a bit in group and it's and Jasmine's often brought up that it is quite often when the emotional abuse becomes physical that people leave and it's such a tragedy because it's just that we just because it's an emotional abuse we, we sort of somehow give it less weight and less credence um, and it's only when it becomes physical that you think oh I'm not putting up with this physical abuse and you know I've put up with seven years of emotional abuse but it, that was the tipping point for me so um I was having an argument with my ex and he totally lost it, complete rage, screaming at me. Um, he grabbed hold of my shoulders and he pushed me backwards through the house and smashed open two doors with me, screaming in my face, and then threw me on the bed. Um, I had had a glass of water in my hand and I actually threw the water on his face to try and calm him. Like I, I was just like trying to thinking maybe I could shock him out of doing what he is doing um, and then after he threw me on the bed he threw the glass at me and I picked the glass up and threw it back and all of this in the narrative was um, apparently I was completely crazy and I physically assaulted him when he was just trying to keep me calm. Now that's when it really hit me that this is a pathological issue because on top of that I had had my phone recording in my pocket and I had the whole thing on tape and I played it to him and he still wouldn't budge from his story whereby I was completely crazy screaming at him, he just put me in the bedroom to calm me down, I just lost it for no reason and threw, threw a glass and massively injured him. Um, so even with me knowing that's absolutely not what happened, you know, but you, that's the thing with being through narcissistic relationships, you, you get gaslit to the point where you doubt your own version of reality. But this point I had the freaking tape, like I could listen to it and say, it's not, there's nothing wrong with me. This is exactly what happened. I have actual physical, completely separate from me evidence that my perception of what happened is exactly what happened. And I have this person with evidence in front of them, flat denying exactly what I know has happened. And I walked out, I went to my mum's and that was the end of the relationship. Wow. <clears throat> Thanks for sharing that, Kay. I think it's, yeah, it's interesting hearing, I guess, the two different, you know, stories that you've had you know the experiences that you've had and you know I hear this a lot of like generally we'll have you know a couple of really big you know relationships with narcissistic people like this I know I experience this too and it's always the second one that's more extreme you know you know you've and, been butted up you've been groomed yeah you've been groomed and you've been conditioned to accept certain things and you know for a lot of us it comes to a head and it is so extreme and you know something I think that's really valuable out of what you shared Kate is you know, yes, in that instance, you recorded that. And, you know, again, it's not, I think a distinction needs to be made. It's not always safe to then actually play that back to your relationship, to your, your partner. So I'd really just um, be mindful of that if you are still in a relationship. Um, something, again, you need to really look at your situation. You really need to think about what is your, you know, partner like. Safety, safety first is. Yeah, yeah definitely safety first. And, you know, but I do think it is important if there is a way in which you can record, write down certain scenarios, whatever, right, just write down what's happening, keep it really safe and secure away from where they can find it. You know, I think that's, again, a really important distinction we need to make. But that way you have a record of scenarios and things that are happening 
And when you put it on paper, you're able to see it for what it is, right? And the more that you gather this evidence for yourself, I really think that's part of the reassurance of really recognising this is actually what's happened and to move through the gaslighting really to start to value and really understand your perception of reality is real. And that's, you know, and that is really part of the process of learning to trust yourself again because you've you've lost that trust in yourself and somebody's overwhelmed your trust in yourself. And going through that process of realising that you can have trust with yourself again and that you're not crazy, you're not mental, you're not making stuff up, you're not manipulating them, you're not abusing them, um, is so important as a really fundamental first step to re-establishing who you are and getting out of that kind of situation. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think, you know, what I'd love love to kind of get more ideas from you is, you know, how did you find those, you know, days, weeks, months after leaving these relationships? What was that like for you? I know for me it was always really painful, really difficult you know, journey to navigate through and, you know, to still live life. I think I've mentioned this in previous episodes of we're just not set up in an environment where we can really take time out for ourselves to really nurture and I think be with ourselves through this process. You know, we, we, we're still expected to go work and if we've got kids, look after the kids and like live this normal life, but we've just experienced such extremes. We need to be able to kind of, I guess, start to recover from that and I've spoken to many women who you know where it's been years since they've experienced narcissistic abuse and they're still really dealing with the after effects of it and not knowing how to move through that and you know so I think it'd be really you know interesting to hear how did you find those early few few days months and 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 what did you kind of find helped you to to start to rebuild that sense of self and confidence uh, well, I guess in a way uh, some of the reasons that it came to a head with the second narcissist were actually the things that sort of got me through afterwards. Um, I I felt very resolute by the time I finally left him purely because I had left him four or five times before and nothing had changed, everything had got worse and I just you know, I, I, I had finally accepted that nothing I did would make this different. And the really blatantly seeing the pathology of complete inability to accept facts, complete inability to accept fault or responsibility for anything was just so strong. And I was very, very lucky. I have a very good relationship with my mother. Uh, so I was able to essentially walk out of the house and leave and go to my mum. And having a close family member who, you know, will look after you and make you feel safe uh, was just so important in that time because, um, you know, I know leaving my first NARC, the addiction, like the, the hormonal addiction to the up and down, it just, you just, you know how bad it is. You know it's awful uh, but it's just so hard to say no it's just you miss those highs and you miss that excitement and you 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 just it is an addiction and you know if you don't have something else to focus on it, it can become overwhelming and I know that that's why I went back to my first narcissist a number of times and I suspect it's probably why I went back to the second one a number of times as well but for me, what it was about, a lot of it was about actually well, starting to learn about narcissistic abuse and starting to actually see that, you know, this is a personality disorder, this is nothing that I have done, for one. Having all of the external activities of things that I found fulfilling in my life uh, reminded me who I was, but um, also I was pretty lucky. Uh, it was not that long after I broke up with my most recent relationship that I found the self-work after narcissistic abuse group that Jasmine runs. So being able to, you know, one of the things with being with a narcissist is that they will find ways to isolate you. Uh, they don't like any of your friends. Your friends are all a bit shit. Don't know why you spend any time with them. 
if you may if you if they spend time around your friends they find ways to alienate your friends yeah you know you you they make you rely on them because they know they're relying on you for their supply so you are already feeling isolated i have got some some close friends who've been through all of this with me who have also been amazing but unless you've been through one of these relationships it's very difficult to actually provide a level of understanding and support for for someone who's coming out of that and being able to meet regularly with women who are at all different stages of the recovery process after this and you know some some not even having left um having people share their experiences and having Jasmine share her experience and knowledge of what she's been learning. Uh, it really gave me something to focus on, which was about, which was positive. It was about recovering and, you know, finding a better life for myself and looking for, uh, you know, just looking forward. I think so often when you leave these kinds of situations, you just filled with shame and regret and pain and, it makes you, it drags you backwards. You you sort of sit there and you, you have all these regrets and you feel like a terrible person because you let this happen to you and you get stuck into this negative cycle. And I think that having something positive to focus on and some work to do and, and getting that support from people who are going through the same process has been um, just essential. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think... Um yeah, reaching out, getting support, whether that is starting really slow and simple by, you know, meeting with a friend or a family member, maybe it's finding a psychologist or counsellor, finding someone who you can trust, even any type of self-care, whether it's a massage, whether it's seeing a kinesiologist or a chiropractor, you know, whatever health support that you you have or um, you find that you need, go and do that. I know for me, I've reached out to so many different type of practitioners and have worked with lots of different people and they've all played their part in helping me to heal and recover. And, you know, for myself and like Kate mentioned, doing this, you know, running the group and, and providing the space for women to come together and to share and feel supported and heard and loved and and to know that what they've been through, that it's okay because there's so much guilt and shame around what we've experienced and there's so much self-punishment, you know, like... Mm and negativity that, you know, we end up in that downward spiral um, and we need something to kind of focus on to move, look forward to and, and move through, right, that, yeah, a space like that is so important. I um, am actually planning to, you know, um, facilitate these groups um, around Australia. So that is um, the next thing that I'm looking at doing. So please reach out to me or if you are in Australia um, I would love to kind of get a uh, feel for where you're, where you're located so I can make those plans to come and, you know, provide that space and help you, um, you know, move through what you need to move through in a supportive environment where you're also around other women who have experienced the same. And I know that, um, you know, we've made great, you know, friendships and connections with one another having run this group for over 12 months now and it's just been really important to create a sense of community and to come together when when we need and to be able to draw on each other and you know just get support when we need because I think this is a lifelong journey and we we're always moving through certain things and some of us are still you know um, having to have some sort of contact with our ex and whether it's yeah just settlement with mortgages or other finances you know family just like there's so many different ways in which we're still connected to these people and so you know, it just doesn't it doesn't always end the minute that you leave and there are so many after effects that we kind of have to move through. So getting that support, I think that's the real key here. So we're almost um, at time and I'd just love to kind of, you know, get from you what is some advice that you might have for someone who's still, um, you know, in an abusive relationship or maybe for someone who is, you know, in the early stages of recovery, maybe they've left and they're really feeling lost and they're feeling all this pain and emotion and they just don't know how to kind of get themselves out of that that feeling, you know. How, how can – what did you find besides getting that support and, and doing the things that you love to help you move through this time? Um, I, I had to uh, – some of the things that I did uh, were specifically around um, self-soothing uh, is, is looking for healthy ways 
to soothe myself when I was upset. So, I mean, for me, I'm a physical person. So, you know, returning to doing some dance, doing some yoga, um, making time to have a hot bath, rediscovering my love of science fiction and having making time for me to read because, you know, as a sideline, um, my most recent ex didn't read for pleasure Therefore, I didn't read for pleasure. So if he wanted to watch television and I sat down next to him with a book, he would demand that I put the book down so that I could watch television with him. So I had to be in some sort of supportive role of him, no matter what he was doing. So finding those things that, you know, not just out and about and going out and doing what makes you happy outside of the house, but just finding those having solace in, you know, your, your small pleasures of, you know, some nice essential oils, a nice hot bath, all of that stuff of rediscovering that it's okay to be relaxed. And um, I think it took a lot of months for me to actually relax. And I think just physically there's so much tension that you don't even know is there. And so anything you can do to help to release that tension so that you can get back to a normal emotional state is really, really important and I found it really, really good in that sense. Um, I just wanted to maybe touch on um, some experiences that I'm going through or I've been through recently in terms of uh, trying to learn about um, starting new relationships and trying to navigate that because it's, um, you know, for me it's one of the most terrifying things is trying to, discover what is a healthy relationship and, you know, can I find one? Um, So I recently had a four or five-month relationship with a a very lovely man, definitely not an arc. Um, And initially I found it very difficult. I did talk in group about how I didn't find him exciting and how that I was aware that that, is not necessarily, a, uh, it, you know, we find the narcissists exciting because they affect us and they control us emotionally and trying to make that separation between it's okay to feel safe around someone and that's not necessarily um, a negative thing, uh, which is hard hard to accept when you've had so much time feeling uh, excitement and total lack of uh, emotional safety so trying to make that step of reversing those two things is, was a very big uh, step for me and I was very lucky that that person came into my life um, ultimately I don't think we're compatible so that you know I broke it off and I and just I was speaking to Jasmine earlier during the conversation where I told him that I didn't want to see him or I didn't want to be in a relationship with him not didn't want to see him um, he said to me, well, because he knew about my past, uh, I, I just hope that going forward now you know that you deserve someone who really loves you and you deserve this kind of relationship and you deserve someone to support you and have this proper connection. And, you know, I I think it's amazing that he would even think to say that to me, but I really feel like that has been a big step for me to think I do deserve it's not right for me this particular relationship but I do actually deserve that um, connection and emotional support and um, more recently very recently uh, I have started seeing someone else and we're going through it's very new but um, I am finding it I'm going through a whole other series of things which is they are quite uh, emotional and emotionally open and they are not hiding their feelings and that for me is a little confronting and so that's uh, the next step for me is to get used to somebody who is emotional and you, you know I want that if you ask me do I want a partner who's emotional and shares their emotions with me of course I would say yes but it's awkward. It's awkward as hell because I'm just not used to that level of openness. And, you know, it. it's, yeah, it's all, I feel like I'm learning through these experiences, um, but there's just 
yeah, there's just so much to learn. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing, Kate. Um, there's so much to learn, and you know, like I said, after narcissistic abuse. There's a whole new journey that we have to go through in, you know, do we want to navigate a new relationship? Do we want to start dating? I think that's a whole other episode that I'd love to kind of delve in more with you. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's important to recognise that if you are looking to date again, then it's okay, like, if you feel triggered. You're not going to just meet someone who's emotionally available and healthy and that you're going to just be able to love and accept that. It's something that I think we intentionally need to look for in someone, right, and we need to be aware of if there's this really huge attraction and this really high and low that, you know, is that really healthy and most likely not. But um, being able to allow ourselves to trust and really be in the process and, and understanding it's a journey, right? Like we're, there's just, we're always learning, we're always evolving and we're growing and relationships is really such a powerful way in which we can do that. So thanks so much for joining me, Kate. It's been amazing talking to you and I think the listeners are going to get so much out of what you shared. Thanks so much, Jasmine, and thanks for everything. Amazing. Thank you.